You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Please be seated. Hopefully the sermon will go a little bit better than announcements. Um, so if you will, in your Bibles, uh, go to Matthew chapter Two, because over the next several weeks, we are going through uh, a traditionally an Advent series where we are looking at the incarnation, the moment where God took on flesh, became a man to dwell among us, to save us and redeem us. Therefore, if there is ever a time of the year where Christians should be able to be more joyful, it is during this time of Christmas in Advent, when we focus on and we sing about it and we celebrate God taking on flesh, becoming a man and dwelling among us. I mean, all you have to do is think about those songs that we often hear around this time of year. Of, While shepherds watch their flocks, it says, glad tidings of great joy I bring you. Or hark the herald angels sing, joyful all ye nations rise. Oh, come all you faithful, a classic. Oh, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. Or, oh, holy night, a favorite of many, where it says, Oh, weary soul, rejoice. God rest ye, merry gentlemen, of tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, and then the classic joy to the world, it says, repeat with sounding joy. But if we are really honest, this is probably one of the times of year where it seems that we often lack that. And for me this week, this has been a very difficult where I found myself in need of this message this morning. Where each and every day I found myself saying this to my heart and my soul and my mind. But I know that I'm not alone. When I should be more joyful, it seems like, than any other time of year, it was one of those weeks I was not. And I found myself fighting for that. But I know I'm not alone. According to a National Institute of Health, it says Christmas is the time of year that people experience a higher degree of depression than any other time of the year. Another survey reported that 45% of those that responded, almost half, it says they dreaded the Christmas season. So then I begin thinking, why is there such a lack of joy when Christmas should be the time that we have so much to be joyful about? Why do we struggle with dread and anxiety and fear and depression and fatigue? It's because I think we are our own worst enemies. We take this beautiful time where the church historically sets a time to focus on the incarnation and we do so many things to add pressures. It's a good idea you want to host that Christmas party and you want it to be perfect and we just stress and put so much into it. Oh, that difficult thing of matching gifts. The thing I probably look least to most of the year. Balancing family times and schedules. I mean, that is so stressful. And then there's the financial burden that we all put on ourselves. In fact, A.W. Tozer was right when he said Christ came to bring peace and we celebrate his coming by making peace impossible for four to five weeks of each year. 
It's not peace, but it's tension, fatigue, and irritation rule the Christmas season. So Christians should be more joyful than any other time it seems, but it often seems to be the opposite. So I think the question is, is there a way? Is there a way to recapture this idea of Christmas and the incarnation to actually experience a greater joy? And so maybe your week has been like mine. Maybe you find yourself fighting for that. Well, I hope we can see some help today through the wise men. This obscure group that comes from the east, and we're going to see these men lay some presents down, but they are going to receive so much more. Because today I've titled this, The Gift of Joy. And so what we're going to see this morning, we're going to look at the famous star. We're going to see the prophecy of the king, and we're going to even see the worship of the king. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, where it begins with the star of the king. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. So they go to this little bitty place of Bethlehem, this city of David. It means house of bread. And if you look at chapter 1, Matthew begins with this long list of the family tree, the, the genealogy of Jesus. But notice who the very first person he mentions. Herod. The first player we see is Herod. He is this king over Judea. He reigned from around 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C. What is interesting about Herod is he was not born into this position. He was not born into royalty of being a king. He's appointed by Rome to rule over this area. And he was a master builder. He built an incredible temple in Jerusalem. He rebuilt Samaria. He had this palace and this port at Caesarea Martima that it's hard to imagine without seeing it. This man put a pool in the Mediterranean Sea inside his palace. And then he undertook the making of the building of Masada. But the thing about Herod is he was not someone you crossed. In fact, he had some wives and even some sons killed because he saw them as a threat. In fact, Caesar Augustus writing about this king he says, I would rather be Herod's swine than his son. Think about Herod. He was vindictive. He was ruthless. He was controlling. He was paranoid and absolutely murderous. And that's where Matthew begins. Well, then he introduces some other players, these wise men. These were people that were students of the stars. You, you would call them astrologers. And they come from the east, somewhere probably around Babylon or Persia. But they show up in Jerusalem. But why? Well, notice verse 2. They came there saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship here. So a star appears to these men. For years they had been studying the stars and all of a sudden a new one appears. And in some way it was different. But notice how they described this star. 
that said this is his star. They believed this star was pointing to someone. But how in the world would they have known this? How did they know? Uh, we're not told, but something happens. And they see, they tells them they are to go and see the king of the Jews, someone worthy of their time and their worship. And we're not told how they get this. We're not told how it comes to them. But they come and somehow they believe it. And notice what they said about this star. He says it's pointing to the one who has been born. His star Meaning the king is here. That this was not someone that one day would rise to power to be king. He is born this way. In fact, we just sang about that this morning. He's not somebody that's going to become king. He is born king. He's not somebody that's going to rise to power. But he holds this position at birth. Well, notice it says they came to worship. They came to pay homage. They are leaving all the comforts of home, they're leaving their culture, they're leaving their land, and they're following the uncertainty of the star in hopes that it would lead them to the rightful king so they could simply pay homage. And then there's some fascinating things about this star and these visitors when you read through the gospel of Matthew. And I know there's a lot out there about this star, but I would want you to know this, that the star is not this mystery to solve, it is something to believe. But Matthew begins with these unusual visitors. So the very first visitors that Matthew introduces us to, to see the king child, notice they're not Jews. They're foreigners. They're Gentiles from the east. It's interesting when I read through Matthew to see that this is how Matthew begins. He begins with the foreigners. He begins with the Gentiles. And you know how he ends his gospel? He ends it with the Great Commission. He says to take the gospel to all nations, to every tribe and every tongue. We're not told how these foreigners, these guys from the east get this knowledge, but somehow it is there. Somehow God reveals the truth to them that this star is unique, it is special, and it's going to lead them to Jerusalem. But there's more to the story because we get to the prophecy of the king in verse 3. And so when Herod, the king, heard this, notice he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Now Matthew is writing this to do several things. And one is to give us this really unique contrast of responses. The first one is these magi. They see a star. They're, they're filled with intrigue and wonder. And they set on a journey to worship. Well, Herod, notice he's troubled. Because he hears this news and everything to Herod is a threat of everything he's building. But then you see it says all of Jerusalem. And it doesn't mean everyone in Jerusalem. He's pointing to the religious leaders so also it says there that they are troubled because they have to be thinking, oh no, a new king has come into power, has been born. What's going to happen to us when Rome sees us worshiping a different king? So they are also threatened. So Herod is going to call together these experts, these scribes and these priests. He's going to take the political and the law. He's going to put them together because notice verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. 
So Herod wants to know exactly where this new king is. And then in verse 5 and 6, you're going to see the prophecy. Notice he brings in these leaders of Jerusalem, the chief priests and the scribes. Where is he going to be born? And they don't even have to think about it. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And behold, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the tribes of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I mean, it's just on the tip of their tongue. They know Micah chapter 5 verse 2 by memory. They know where it's said, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans, there's nothing special about you except from you shall come forth for me, the one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. Because these were men that would have learned this over and over again. They spent their lives studying the law and the scriptures. They didn't have to think about it. When asked a question, where is the Christ going to be born? They immediately knew in Bethlehem. They know exactly where the king is. So what does Herod do? He's going to give an order. But I want us to see something very strange and odd about this. Look at verse 7 and 8. So Herod... He summoned wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. He wants to know every detail. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So he sends the wise men to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is this town. It is only about five miles South of Jerusalem. It is close. But he lies to them and he says that he wants to go and to worship. And if you continue reading in Matthew chapter 2, you know that's not what Herod has in mind. In fact, Herod is so threatened by this birth of this child, he sets a degree that every boy under the age of two is to be murdered. But here's what is very strange to me. If you're a priest or you're a scribe, you spent your entire life studying the scriptures. You knew all of the prophecies. And here they have one that has come to them that has been fulfilled. That the king has been born in Bethlehem. So Magi, they come from the east. They see the star. It leads them to Jerusalem. They say the prophecy. But that's it. They share the prophecy with him, but they won't travel five short miles themselves to see if this is even true. They simply stay in Jerusalem. But you have these wise men, these Gentile foreigners that have traveled miles after mile and day after day. And notice what they do. In verse 9, you see the worship of the king. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. But don't miss the power of this. Jerusalem is due north of Bethlehem. But which way do stars move? They move from an east to a west pattern. And now all of a sudden this star is moving from north 
to south, and it stops over a very particular place. So I want to point out is think about what God has been doing and has done to even get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem and then the wise men. The first thing you see God doing, he is wielding the lives of people. The prophecy of the king of Israel is to be born in Bethlehem. So how does he get this young couple there? They're up in Nazareth. And God uses a Roman leader to call for a census. He's wielding the lives of people, even people of Rome, to get this unique couple exactly where he needs them to be. And then you see God wielding the universe. That a star shows up that's usually not there. These wise men notice this. They follow it from the east. And all of a sudden, it begins moving north to south. The star is doing something and it cannot do on its own. It's guiding the magi to the Son of God. So God is wielding the lives of people and even the universe to bring about his promise and to make his son known to the world. And notice the result in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Man, all week long I've been thinking about what that must be, what that must feel like to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Because Matthew could have written this a lot of ways. He doesn't just say they rejoiced. He doesn't just say they rejoiced with joy. He doesn't even just say they rejoiced with a great joy. He says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. But I think you're thinking then, what was this joy for them all about? I believe it started with this amazement. They knew the sky. They knew the stars. They were the experts, and all of a sudden, a new one shows up. They're going to follow it to some unknown place, and they do, and all of a sudden, it stops over a particular place, and it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So I think the answer to that is, what was this joy all about? It's these men from the east are about to meet the Messiah. So notice the results of this joy. Notice what it does in them. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. Their joy all of a sudden turns to worship, but then there's more. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts to him of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That their joy turns to worship and their worship is expressed in the giving of gifts. That they came simply to pay homage and all of a sudden we find them worshiping the king. But it says that they didn't return to here, they go and they return to their homeland. So this is what I want us to see this morning. That even through this season, we are going to see three responses to the king. And this is even true now over 2,000 years later. We still see these responses. The first thing you see is Herod. Herod is the one that you see this attitude where he is simply opposing the king. He sees this young child or hears of him and it is a threat to his way of life. So he is opposed to him because 
He doesn't want to give up the control. He doesn't want to give up his power. He doesn't want to give up what he is doing and he is building. Because he's opposed to anything that he sees as a threat to what he is doing. But there's another one you see in these Jewish priests and these scribes. The response to them is they simply ignored the king. Here they are in Jerusalem. They're five miles away. And they will not even go and see if it's true. And they just ignore him. But here we have these foreigners, these magi coming from the east. You know what we see them doing? They are seeking the king. They followed even though they did not have all the answers. There's no way they could know. People from a foreign land, a foreign people, and they go into all these unknowns to simply seek the king. But the thing that we see in them is we can still experience these same attitudes even today, even within ourselves. Because I think sometimes I can stand opposed to the king because ultimately I want things my way. I want to be in control. I want to be the master of my own domain. Without even maybe realizing it, I'm simply opposing the king because I want control of my life and I will do anything not to give that over because I love it. But I think for most of us, including me, it seems like this time of the year it's easiest to simply ignore the king. That we are placing too many other things as more important than the king. Our schedules, our activities, and our gifts. But for me this week, this is what I have been preaching to my heart and my soul and my mind over and over and over again. The Mark, there is only one way to have joy in this season. When you should be more joyful than probably any other time of year. The only way to find joy this season is by seeking the king. And there are thousands of ways for us to do this. I'm not going to go through them all because I know you can figure it out. But I think one of the simplest ways is just to open his word. Do you realize that we have more access today than any other time of history of having God's word before us? So the best way to find joy in this Christmas season is to follow the example of these magi. Did you know what Matthew doesn't tell us? He doesn't really tell us much about it. He doesn't tell us what they were dressed in. He doesn't tell us their names. He doesn't even tell us how many of them there were. We know they think there's three. He doesn't tell us where they're born. He doesn't even tell us if they made it home. He doesn't even tell us where they are buried. Because Matthew simply wants us to focus on these were people that sought the king. When they found him, they worshipped. So from this example in Matthew this morning, I would simply want to ask, do you want or do you do need a greater sense of joy even during this time of the year? Then hear Matthew say, seek the king. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.